Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Good Divorce Show. I am your Good Divorce Coach, Karen McNinney, and I am joined today by collaborative lawyer, uh, Emily Folio. She comes to us from the Maryland, D.C. area, and for the past 15 years, she has represented clients in all aspects of family law litigation, including contested divorce proceedings, child custody and child support hearings, property distribution, and spousal support hearings. She also has substantial training and experience in representing clients in collaborative divorce as well as mediation. In her own words, Emily says that she entered into this work hoping to have a positive impact on families transitioning into a two-household structure and hopes that as a society, we can begin to view divorce as the evolution of a family rather than the destruction of a family. Welcome to the show, Emily Folio. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I really see you as a pioneering partner in even the language you use, that it's it's a restructuring of the family. It's a renovation of the relationship. It isn't a destruction of who we are as a family, that we can still keep the good parts. Exactly. I mean, I think that's I think that's so true. I think it doesn't always feel like that at the beginning, but I think that as things um sort of evolve in the divorce process, even the people going through it can see that, that it's, it, can, it is the restructuring of a family. You know, the, the children involved especially um, will have that family for the rest of their lives. And maybe it expands over time even, which is a lovely thing too. It's not a broken home. It's a home in two homes. <laughs> That's right. As we say here on The Good Divorce Show, one family two homes. We often end the way we begin is my assessment in the divorce process. And so we'd like to start today by having you chat a little bit about the different ways in which people may choose to move through their divorce journey. And there isn't one path there, you know, every family is unique. You mentioned collaborative divorce as one of the hallmark skills that you bring to this work. And that might be something people are hearing about for the very first time today. Would you walk us through negotiation, mediation, and how you assess when a client comes to you, how you would help guide them towards a good divorce from the start? You know, I kind of think of dispute resolution as a spectrum. Um, and along that spectrum is everything from the kitchen table conversation to litigation. And along the way, you know, it, it, moving from the kitchen table, we can mediate with a third party mediator um, who's just a neutral who can sort of help a couple resolve issues just between the two of them. Another form of dispute resolution is collaborative law, which is a bit more involved. Um, but one of the tenets of collaborative law is that you sign an agreement at the very beginning that you won't litigate with those current attorneys. So if the case falls out of collaborative, um, meaning you can't resolve it in that process, then you have to get new attorneys. Um, another tenet of collaborative law is transparency. Everybody is giving all of their financial information and any other kind of information about, about the relationship, about the divorce, and being very transparent about it. The, it's, a, it's an amazing process. You, you, each couple has a divorce coach. Um, there's a financial neutral who sort of processes all of the financial documents and comes up with different solutions uh, for dividing assets, support, things like that. It's a really wonderful way to, and you do a series of meetings and that's how you ultimately resolve it. And there's sort of a, there is, you have an agenda for each meeting. So it's very clearly set out what you're going to do. It's kind of like a funnel at first. It feels like a lot of things swirling around. And then as you start the meetings, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, issues start to peter away as you figure things out. Um, and it can be really wonderful. And I think that, uh, you know, collaborative divorce 
sort of the principles behind it are what uh, are most important. And I don't think that you have to have the whole, what we call collaborative big C, which is to sign the agreement that you're not going to litigate and do it book by, you know, very by the book and, um, and exactly how, uh, you know, the collaborative big C is supposed to be, that process is supposed to be, it's all, it can be a lot for a lot of people. Um, and it can be a lot of professionals involved. So if that's not for you, I've also found that a lot of, uh, a lot of couples um, appreciate doing collaborative with a small C, which is sort of, you don't sign the agreement necessarily to not litigate, try to resolve your case with the ideas of collaborative behind it. Um, and you may involve some of the mental health professionals, you may involve the financial neutral, but you sort of pick and choose what you want from the process. And sometimes that's um, fits, you know, better for certain couples. That's right. And there may be a co-parenting specialist involved, as you mentioned, divorce mm-hmm. coaches. And and I think the phrase that really leaps out for me is this idea of pick and choose. Uh, I have found so often people come to the divorce process and think the first thing we need to do is call a lawyer and they'll tell us what our future is going to be. That's not accurate. You have a lot more agency listeners to to decide how you not only want to do your divorce process, but how you want to be divorced. Do you find that there is just a certain level of education that comes with every client that walks through the door? Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, some people come to us just asking for an education, not knowing if they want to get divorced, but just saying, I don't know anything about it. Can you, can you fill me in? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there about how things get resolved. It, nobody wants to be there, right? Like some people think, oh, do I have to get my divorce in court? Do I have to fight this all out in court? And honestly, that's sort of the the last thing we generally want to do. And thank God for litigation. Thank God for good judges who care and want to get it right for those who can't resolve their disputes outside of court. The vast majority of cases we resolve through you know, attorney negotiation, which is sometimes just attorneys talking to each other and, and working through the issues like one by one or mediation or collaborative. And most people end up doing collaborative small C rather than big C because of the cost and the process involved in, in big C. Yes, there's there are so many ways to resolve these issues outside of court. And yes. most people aren't aware of all those different ways. That's right. And really wanting people to take ownership of, of the journey. And even when you're looking for support, whether that be a divorce coach or a lawyer such as Emily, I always say it should be more like shopping for shoes. Try on a few pairs and make sure you get a good fit because yeah. there's a different approaches. Not everyone yeah. sits in your seat with the same perspective of I'm trying to help this family stay intact beyond the moment of divorce, because now you are a family forever. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Even for those couples then that you you sign the paper, it's done, they go on their way. How often do you see families come back where conflict has bubbled up again, um, whether that be over financial issues or a family member wants to move or there's custody challenges? And, and how to watch for those? Because we certainly have listeners in our audience who maybe are have completed the divorce process, but they're still really challenged with some things inside the divorce relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not uncommon, especially for couples who divorce when their kids are younger, um, for those couples to come back because of different custody issues. Um, as you mentioned, there's, you know, sometimes there's move away cases too, where one party wants to move, but they need to figure out how do I still see my child and how do we work this out? That's generally the cases that we see come back the most are cases involving custody. And it really kind of drives home that when you're getting a divorce and you have children, you're not sort of doing away with your soon to be ex spouse forever, right? Like this is, 
this is a relationship that continues and is still important to preserve on some level for your kids. Those those kids tie you together for ever the rest of your life. It's yeah, a forever relationship. It is. It is. And so it's not surprising that people come back with issues a lot of times center around co-parenting. Both of us in our practice see these huge swings of emotions that mm-hmm. come with divorce. And and I I often recognize that there's feelings of extraordinary grief and relief simultaneously. There's a lot of opposing tension, reminiscence, yeah. as well as pain and, and then delight. Um, how do you help guide clients to navigate those big emotions, particularly when they're in the heat of making forever decisions about the future and having sometimes a hard time seeing the future and having those emotional flooding experiences that can come with decision-making when we're all feeling a little exposed, we're seeing scarcity, not abundance. Perhaps there's the fear that just is innate as a parent in our heart of what we might be losing rather than really seeing what we can gain. How do you help guide that emotional journey with clients? Uh, You know, I think that divorce, uh, as you said, there's just, there's a huge range of emotions that come along with it, right? Like sadness, it's a real, it's a loss. Um, It's a death in a lot of ways of a, of a life that you thought you'd have, you know, sometimes there's anger, sometimes there's a desire for revenge and, you know, it's, it's very, it's tough. Like you're trying to work through really important issues in the midst of all of this emotional chaos. It can really throw people off as, as, you know, should be expected. And I don't think that anybody should feel badly for that or feel like they should be, um, you know, nobody's trying to hold you to the highest standard when you're going through a divorce, that's for sure. Um, But I do think that as an attorney, it's part of our job to help guide our clients in those times. Sometimes that means having a tough talk with them and talking about what we really, really need to focus on or what's behind the impasse. And then sometimes it's just, you know, taking a few days to be quiet and think through things. Um, and I honestly, I find that most clients are able to get it right when they have sort of the right supports in place. You know what? I think that like this is a really difficult issue and maybe this is a good one to talk to your therapist about and come back and let me know what you how you feel about it. Yes, I can. On more than one occasion, I might get a heated email on a Thursday rather than responding right away. Again, time, time is just so valuable. Um, and even the biology of our brain needs time in order to settle down. You know, those emotional hijackings are going to flood your body with all of the stress hormones that yeah. don't necessarily lend themselves towards good decision-making. And then it's that revenge, anger, um, and these decisions cast a long, long shadow over the course of your life and the life of your children. You know, I think there are people out there who are listening and saying, well, that's how I want to be in my divorce. I, I'm trying to be the good divorce. I'm going to therapy. I'm managing my emotions. But my ex-spouse or soon-to-be ex is always triggered and volatile. Do you have some thoughts about how one person can better manage when it feels like it's a one-sided good divorce? You know, it is, it's tough because you can only control yourself. There, there are definitely situations where it's not, the effort is not being made on both, both sides. You have to just try to stay centered in your own goals. You know, what is really driving you And sometimes like a lot of the time, in fact, it's the kids, right? And remembering like, what is the most important thing to me in this situation? Wanting to um, feel good about how you handled something. And, you know, I oftentimes will have clients say, well, they're not going to do the right thing. So why do I have to do the right thing? 
And I understand that feeling. I definitely do. But usually my response is because you want to be the better person here and you want things to end up in a better place. Um, And if the end goal is the good divorce, then, you know, maybe you can figure out how to distance yourself when you're feeling triggered or how come up with some tools for dealing with those triggering moments when the other person is not at their best. Well, when we come back from the break, we're going to dive more into some of those specific tools and thoughts and remembering that the person (laughs) that you're divorced is going to be the same person in this new relationship, same triggers, same challenges. (laughs) And somehow we think, ah, I'm divorced and I'm now done with all those struggles that we had in our marriage. They're just translating into a new relationship. So stay tuned, listeners. When we get back, we'll continue our conversation with DC-based collaborative lawyer, mediator, Emily Folio, as we provide tools for you and how to find your own good divorce. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. All who live face a time of passing. Is death the end, or will souls enter an afterlife? Have you ever wondered about historical figures and what they would say if they were alive today? Psychics and authors Barry and Connie Strom will use their gift of spirit communication to answer questions and channel spirits concerning the hereafter. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Barry and Connie Strom at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back, listeners. So nice to have you with us today as we speak to Maryland-based lawyer, mediator, and wise woman, Emily Folio who joined Hostetter Strength in December of 2011 and has been practicing ever since in the Maryland area and very committed to helping us view divorce, not as the destruction of family, but really as an evolutionary process and remembering that there's so many parts of the family that are going to go with us throughout our entire life. Welcome back to the show and welcome. Thank you for joining us, Emily Folio. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. We were just chatting before the break about these nuances of conflict and what can stir conflict. So often people think, uh, at least in my opinion, and probably in my own experience, once I'm divorced from this person, then I'm not going to have any conflict. I'm going to be free and clear. All those little nuances and things that aggravated and irritated and that were our points of pain will be gone. But the reality is <laughs> they're not. They're just living now in the divorce relationship rather than the marital relationship. And- right. And, you know, even in the divorce process after you're separated and, you know, but you're working through these issues together, those personality traits still come out. Um, and that can be very difficult for people because they felt like they were getting rid of it and they weren't going to have to deal with it anymore. Um, and I, and I have to say, even, you know, down the road in co-parenting, a lot of those same dynamics, those same, um, personality traits really are really play out and, and they, they should, cause that's part of that person. Right. Um, but the person who was divorcing them 
thinks that they're getting away from it. And, and it's tough to realize, oh my gosh, I'm still going to be dealing with this for possibly ever if you have children, right? A successful divorced person is one who is able to figure out ways to deal with those traits that they didn't, that they wanted to divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but they now realize that they have to go on and keep dealing with. Um, and, you know, sometimes as the attorney, we can help them figure out ways to deal with it. Like, hey, every time you get one of these emails, take three days and don't right. respond. Um, or, you know, our family wizard is another great divorce tool that we have some clients use if they need it. Some clients are like, we don't need it. We just email, text, call, whatever. We're fine. Um, Give a quick overview of our family wizard. This is a great tool. It's an app listeners that is going to help with communication. There's a little bit of oversight. Say more about that. Yeah, there's, there's oversight. I think, you know, you can only have a certain number of words in certain communications and everything is documented in it. Um, And it sort of helps. And also I think calendar, a shared calendar. um, And, you you know, track finances, um, payments back and forth. And again, it's our family wizard. We'll get it in the show notes. It's a wonderful tool, right? That's what we're looking for is tools of how to do it better. So putting guardrails around communication can be a really useful one. Yeah. Uh To sort of box people in to their communication sometimes. Um, And and oftentimes the clients who are in higher conflict situations, we will have them use that because it helps to sort of do away with all of the commentary that can take place in emails. So there are ways to help deal with these, these personality traits moving forward. Also, you know, going to a therapist and having the therapist work with you on, okay, these are the steps that I take when I feel triggered by this person, person's actions. Mm So, you know, and I think that the people who try to figure out how to work through those moments are the ones that have more successful, um, more peaceful divorces. Yes, peace. And I would also suggest it's not just identifying the habits of the other person, but what are your habits that you're still bringing? And I was working with a client. I do a lot of ghost writing with clients. Like you need to write this email and express these things. And then you're going to send it to me. And I'm going to take out all the garbage that you know is going to be triggering to your former spouse. Our first rule is do no more harm. Don't poke, don't prod, don't hit step on those tender parts that you know are going to ignite the other person. Usually connected with shame, old habits, um, getting that contempt. We've talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse on, on the show that take us down these roads that are just unhealthy communication. So as you said so wisely before, Emily, the only thing we can control is ourself. So it's our response to those old triggers. And it's also trying to navigate to not be the one triggering your other spouse if they are less skilled and to really have that sort of gracious awareness of today, I have to be more adult than my spouse. Today, I have to pick the high road. Today, I'm going to say this in the nicest, non-shaming, irritated way. I always say, write that email, send it to me, (laughs) and then we'll write the one that isn't going to do future damage. Damage control, lean on your professionals to help you with damage control. Definitely. And, you know, we do that a lot with our clients too. And sometimes it will say at the beginning of a case and not in every case, but in cases in which we, we feel like the client could use some hand holding on the, um, on drafting the emails in a non-confrontational way or in a way that is not going to, as you said, like poke at the other person. Um, and we will have the client send us every email before they send them off to make sure that we're, you know, steering it in the right direction. And oftentimes throughout the course of the process, that person figures it out on their own, right? They, they 
they figure out, okay, wait, that was, that was not, I shouldn't put that in there because I know that's gonna, you know, trigger that person. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really, it's amazing to see clients evolve in that way. And as you said, it's an evolution of the family. It's also an evolution of self and you can improve your relationship with this person where there presumably was a love story that you chose for many of you who created a family and to reconnect and sort of leave the garbage behind, reclaim the better part of yourself as you reclaim the better part of that relationship and know that you can be really awesome divorced folk, (laughs) even if you weren't wonderful as a married couple, or you were for a time and for a thousand reasons, things shift and change over time. So true. I mean, there's so many um, divorces that I've seen that it, it was a rough marriage, but they've worked hard and become great co-parents. And, you know, it ends up in this beautiful family that was not, not what they originally set out to do, but it is, you know, amazing in its own way. Yes. I recently uh, interviewed a mom and her daughter, 40 years post-divorce. And one of the things that Kara and her mom, Maggie talked about, and Kara said, I saw both of my parents become really happy and we became a happier, healthier family. And for her mom to hear that retrospectively 40 years later, and she said, I, you know, as the daughter, a nine or 10 year old, I didn't really know that we weren't a high functioning family until the divorce happened. And then I could see in contrast how happy and abundant and fulfilled each of my parents became. And when that was happening, that was good for all of us. Yeah. A beautiful reminder that divorce is kind of the compost pile of marriage. You can throw it out, turn it over, re-fertilize and grow yourself a new garden. You know, we've always, um, I think, especially in at least my parents' generation, it was sort of a, you were viewed as very selfless if you stayed in a bad marriage for your children. And I think that you can shift that thought and think about the selflessness that comes with trying to have a good co-parenting relationship and a good divorce. There's actually the possibility of happiness and healthiness on the other end of that, rather than, you know, in a bad marriage and staying, you know, staying in it for your children. I don't know that there's the same sort of possibility of a positive end to that. Oh, I think that is such a great paradigm shift. And we hear that echo. I certainly heard it in my own head, stay for the kids, stay for the kids. And I had a turning point in epiphany one day. And I thought, I need to leave for my children. I need mm-hmm. to leave so that they get a better version of their parents and the possibility of seeing other relationships that are really vibrant. And it's painful. I remember those early days of seeing your partner grow into a more vibrant, beautiful version of themselves without you there. Um, But the same was happening for me. And again, that is just the garden that we find, that we re-fertilize, and then we bring all of that abundance to the family rather than the focus on scarcity. What we're losing, let's keep focused on what we can gain. Speaking of scarcity and abundance, immediately I start thinking about money and assets and homes and belongings, which is such a massive part of the divorce process and where people put a lot of focus and it's essential and important. It's not the only thing, but it does get a lot of attention. What have you found is the right mindset for families to take into consideration when they begin those conversations around division of assets and future stability for the family. The law puts in place certain, you know, guideposts for dividing assets and for support. Um, and it, and I think at least in Maryland, I'm only at Maryland um, and DC bar attorney, um, and every jurisdiction is different. Um, but there's, you know, there are safety nets because oftentimes in a marriage, you set up your household in a way that one person maybe earning less money than the other. 
um, and one person may be taking on a greater share of the child rearing and the household chores and all of that. The law sets in place some, some safety nets to make sure that when you guys split up, that everybody's going to be okay, right? Um, and the higher earning spouse can still go on living a, a, a higher um, standard, having a higher standard of living than the lower earning spouse, but it, making sure the law sort of makes sure that everybody's going to be, have a roof over their heads and food to eat and, and be fine going forward and nobody's going to drop drastically in their standard of living. You know, I think there's a lot of couples who enter into the divorce process and they're very concerned about getting what they can for their own new household um, and making sure that they have, they get as much as possible. There can be sort of a shift even throughout the divorce process where you're like, wait a second, we're actually going to be financially intertwined on some level if we have children right for a long long time there is a lot of value to both of us having stability and both of us having what we need um, rather than one person having 75 percent of the assets and the other person having 25. most of the time in maryland and dc Everybody gets about an equal share um, of the assets, but it, the best divorces are ones in which people recognize that there are these ties um, for a long time. And maybe the best thing is that the lower earning spouse is it stays in the house until the kids go off to college and um, the higher earning spouse is willing to make that happen you know, maybe it's, it, it can be so different in every single case, but, you know, ways to make sure that everybody is stable and um, financially secure into the future. And I would say also a sense of independence. What would you say to some of our listeners who maybe have been the lower earning and financially dependent spouse who have the, the, the fear and, and maybe they were working professionally educated, but the choice was, and whether that's mom or dad who has been at home and feeling a certain kind of vulnerability moving forward, or they're like, well, my sugar mama is going to take care of me for as long as I need, because I'm going to sit right here. And, and I remember talking with someone who had just had a conversation with their lawyer and the lawyer there were negotiations. It was high conflict. And the lawyer said, please don't go get a job right now. Don't do anything that makes you look like you're really capable. We want to milk them for all they're worth. And I thought, oh, this is what's making divorce bad for families. You have a very different approach and philosophy for those that might be coming from behind, if you will, and trying to elevate themselves? That would be the last thing that I would ever advise a financially dependent spouse to, to not go out and get a job, not um, work on <clears throat> becoming financially independent, should think of ourselves as the as having um, our, the most security financially comes from within. And if you're able to support yourself on some level, then that is better than not doing not doing anything. A housewife or house husband um, comes into our office and they say, what should I do? Should I work on going out and getting a job right now? I'm really stressed about this. We're, we would say to them, yeah, start thinking about it, right? Start, you don't have to get a job immediately today. You're not gonna be, give you no support at all if you're, you're somebody who hasn't been, earning any money and your um, spouse has been earning several hundred thousand dollars, then like, you're not going to be left high and dry, at least not, you know, in the court system. <laughs> um, and as long as that person is okay and has, has resources that resources they need for the time being, then they can think about what they want to do and start getting back out there, applying to school um, and start figuring out what they want to do to support themselves. That would be my advice. The idea that you want to try to milk somebody for their money. Um, I, I feel like that's an old fashioned kind of idea. And there aren't many 
courts and there aren't many, um, there, there just aren't a lot of people out there that are going to have a lot of sympathy for that. And furthermore, this idea, I love this phrase that you used, Emily, that financial independence lies within. And when we pursue that for our self-listeners, at the end of the day, you're going to feel better about yourself. And it's one step closer to disentangling from this person that you are so committed to disentangling yourself from. So I really want to empower individuals to find their own personal agency and to stand on their own two feet financially. And in doing so, you have one more step further away from that interdependence that you are already in pursuit. We are chatting today with Emily Folio. She is a collaborative divorce lawyer and mediator. She is with Hostetter and Strength in the DC, Maryland area, 15 years of experience and lots of wisdom. When we return, we will continue our conversation with Emily Folio. Stay tuned. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Relationships can be tricky. If you are looking for more from the relationships in your life, tune in to Kissing in a Tree with host Kelly Nichols. Kelly is a body positive sex and relationship coach, and she wants to share her knowledge to help you become a better partner and a better person. Kissing in a Tree, Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. As humans, we suffer when we believe we are not good enough. We are taught we must be better, look better, try harder, and achieve more. We cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness. We don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back, listeners. Today we are chatting with Emily Folio of Hotstetter Strength, a legal firm in the D.C. Maryland area. She comes with 15 years of experience representing clients in all aspects of family law and litigation. Thanks for staying with us as we move towards a focus on the co-parenting relationship and the parenting plan. I think there's a big misnomer in mythology, Emily, that there's someone tracking your parenting plan and and like an officer who's going to be there and but but this isn't really how it works give us the mythology and the best practice around how we can think about our parenting plan with our co-parent yeah you know i mean i think of the parenting plan as the default when you can't agree it's the default and it's it's very helpful to have that default there in case you need it and uh, and some people need it a lot. Some people never need it. You know, the ideal co-parenting situation is one in which you can be flexible together and help each other out. And when one kid's got to go to soccer and the other one has hockey at the same time on a weekend, you know, you can call each other up and say, you got to take one, I'll take the other. Like we still got to you got to divide and conquer like you always did when you were married, that kind of thing. I was just going to say it, it's not unlike when you were in the same household. And I, I think if we take the spirit of co-parenting from our married life, which is logistics and negotiating and who's doing lunches and who's picking up and dropping off. And I've got a business trip out of town. I've got a conflict. 
I need childcare, first right of refusal with the other spouse, the same exact things we would do inside one household. The more we can replicate that across two homes, it's going to be better for everyone rather than this super rigid hour by hour. And I see people get into these insane pissing matches over time and boundaries and drop off and pick up in ways that you would do if if we were moving and shuttling things on the railroad station. Yeah. I've seen couples get into fights over that somebody was 15 minutes late to pick up kids. It's, you know, if you have in the back of your mind, the spirit of what you're really doing, which is actually just parenting your own children, you know, with this other person, then that's, that's really the guidepost, right? And that's what you can remember in those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, why didn't he do X, Y, and Z like he was supposed to? You guys are still just parenting your children together. That's right. And and when we hold on to those old hurts, uh, they don't serve us in present time and certainly not into the future. And if grandma showed up 15 minutes late with the kids coming back from the mall, we would give them extraordinary grace and yeah. understanding. And and same if a babysitter arrived 15 minutes late for their schedule time because they were coming from volleyball practice. And we, again, would offer grace and how we can yeah. do that for our co-parent in the end is also going to relieve the kids from feeling the tense of, oh no, someone's going to be angry when I show up. As soon as we arrive, as soon as we are in the same space together, my parents are already feuding because of me. And that's how it gets translated for the child. And we want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. And I, and I will say another thing that I think is important to avoid is when you're transitioning from one parent to the next, showing some sort of civility and friendliness to that other person, because kids really watch that kids see that. And, you know, I've, I've had cases where one parent will have the kids wait outside of the home to be picked up yes, because they don't want their co-parent to come into the home or they, you know, say, I don't want you even near my home. We're going to meet in the McDonald's parking lot to transition the kids. I've even seen them send the kids to school with like their suitcase. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the children's responsibility to schlep their gear. That's the parent responsibility. You're asking of your children to live across two homes in most cases, unless you're nesting different experience, listen to a different episode on that listeners. Um, But that it's not the burden of the children. It is the burden of the parents to make this as smooth as possible for the children. Yes, completely. And to show the kids that there's, there's some level of positivity between the two parents. Yes. So that the kids also don't feel like they are a burden. Yeah. And when you're feuding and fighting and negotiating, then that, that just leaves the children feeling like I'm the problem here. And it would just be easier if this weren't happening, if I weren't a part of this. And we never want to give that message to our children. I think there's also a misnomer. You you started to talk about this in terms of the the legal parameters around, you know, our parenting plan says a week on, week off. But now all of a sudden my family's coming to visit during a week that is normally on your schedule. And or there's been a, a death in the family and I need to take the kids to a funeral during your week. And rather than moving things around and liberating that schedule, they they adhere to it so rigidly that then we get these huge gaps where maybe you don't see your kids for three weeks or two weeks. Is that legal? Can we change our parenting plan from what was submitted in court? You can. And many parenting plans have flexibility built into them for those particular issues of a death in the family or special events, things like that. But even when there isn't a special event and there's a, there's some reason that like, for instance, one person has to go off on work travel. Um, you know, the only people enforcing this, the schedule are the two parents who entered into this agreement. And if you want to deviate from that, you, 
are able to do that um, if the two of you agree. So Absolutely. people shouldn't feel like they're, you know, they have to strictly follow the letter of the agreement if they both agree not to, <laughs> if they both agree, like, let's be flexible on, you know, this month or whatever, because I've got X, Y, and Z happening. And another thing is that when people have younger kids, when they get divorced, as they, as those kids grow up, things change and schedules might change. Schedules might need to change for particular reasons or because, you know, you've got preteens or teenagers who are like, I don't want to get up off of mom's couch to go to dad's couch right now because that is too much. (laughs) Oh, that is so true. And as a co-parenting specialist, I remind my clients, not only can you change it over time, you probably should. You know, I had a family that started with um, a two, two, five schedule or three days on uh, four days off at their home, you know, shorter chunks because their kids were young. They were elementary age. And when they moved to middle school, then they were like, well, let's go to a week. And then the, the teenagers came to them in high school and said, do we have to do this every week? Can we just do it every other week? We'd like two weeks at a house. We'll see you guys at every event anyway. And they were really not only talking to each other as co-parents, but they were talking to their children. And I recommend that parents on a regular basis, whatever that might mean in your household, and you just check in, how is life in two homes? What could we do differently? Do you have what you need? And let your children also be a part of that conversation. Yes. Let your children be a part of that conversation without letting your kids feel responsible for outcomes. Yes. And at the same time, not putting choice and decision-making on their shoulders, because the last thing our kids want to do is to choose between their parents. Um, So input is one thing. Decision-making rights is another. And finding sort of the middle ground in there can be really valuable. Now, it's not just our children that get wrapped up uh, in these conversations around divorce, but it's also our fur babies. Have you found yourself having to negotiate over dogs, cats, pets? I have. (laughs) I've I've seen it all. Yes, I've seen it all. There have been many pets in agreements that I've drafted. I even, you know, once drafted a a custody agreement for a dog, you know, as a dog lover, I, I totally get that. They are like your children couple had co-parenting issues with their puppy, you know, um, and it's, you know, so it, it crosses all, all forms. (laughs) That's right. Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. If it was a problem before you have to really work to rewire those patterns of behavior. Any other words of wisdom or case studies that come to mind regarding co-parenting, uh, do's and don'ts. I think a a big piece of this is just remembering it. And I, and I do think that most people do this, but I think a big piece is trying very hard to set aside the triggers of dealing with that your ex spouse and remembering that at bottom, it's about the kids when you're co-parenting and, um, and it's not about getting back at that person for anything that happened in the past or, you know, oh, he never cooked dinner. Well, you know, he's not going to be able to make dinner for them now, something like that. It's Mm -hmm. about making sure that the kids um, continue on feeling like they still have their family because to the kids, both parents are their family still and not feeling like it is this completely fractured situation to households that can't interact at all. That's right. We're trying to craft one family that lives across two homes. Yeah. In preparation for my conversation today with Emily Folio, we often ask for a few thoughts in advance um, to prepare to share high value content for you, our listeners. And so I'm going to ask Emily to actually read something that she wrote to me before our interview today, because I think it is such a beautiful capturing of the essence of what she, her partners, and uh, other pioneers, uh, divorce coaches, lawyers, collaborative lawyers, there's so many professionals now working across lines to help you all craft a happier future family, even in the face of divorce. Emily, would you mind sharing with us these words of wisdom? 
So this is really just sort of food for thought for people who are beginning um, a divorce journey. It, it, not, not so much words of wisdom, but just something to think about. <laughs> I think people talk all the time about good marriages and bad marriages. Uh, you hear a lot about bad divorces also. But what you don't often hear about is the title of this podcast, which is Good Divorces. There, believe it or not, is such a thing. And I've seen couples who have had a bad marriage and then have what I would call a good divorce. And their kids are happier and healthier and the parents are happier and healthier. And they do better as co-parents than they ever did as a married couple. And I feel like we grew up seeing, or at least I grew up, and people I think in our generation grew up seeing people who stayed in bad marriages for their children as being selfless. And there really truly is a lot of selflessness that comes with that. But I would say that there's also a tremendous amount of selflessness that comes with putting energy into a good divorce rather than a bad marriage. It's not an easy thing to have a good divorce. It takes a lot of hard work. Um, but when you're able to put in the hard work and the good divorce can become a triumph and not a failure. Um, it can result in a happy, healthy home and family that might look different than what was originally envisioned, but it is every bit as amazing. Divorce is one of the most emotionally traumatizing things that people experience in life. People shouldn't be held to the highest standard of their best emotional self when they're going through the most difficult time in their life, but uh, you do have the power to shift the trajectory. You can make a good divorce out of one that started as a bad one. There still might be ups and downs, but if you consciously work at it, you can make it a good divorce in the end. And that's truly something to be proud of. Oh, I just could not have said it any better myself. Emily Folio coming to us today from the Maryland and Washington, D.C. area, practicing collaborative law and mediation with Hotstetter Strength. So grateful to have you with us. Thank you for sharing your time. Oh, it was honored, honored to be here. And a reminder to all of our listeners, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.